I think a lot of it was actually born out of who you guys are and the effect that you guys have had on us. Um, so um, it's actually a bit of a burden that I'm, I feel like I'm bringing uh, like today. I'm kind of sharing my burden a little bit. Um, and hopefully bringing some encouragement and motivation and stuff. I'm really happy all the primary school kids are here. I'm, I think it's pretty simple, so I think everyone's going to get it. I hope the real, the reality stuff isn't too hard for them, you know, to take in. I'm going to share some reality stuff, and it's, it might be a little bit full on, but I'll hopefully move on real quick. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, it, I'm, I'm really glad that we can do this this morning, and I, this has been something that's been on my heart for ages, so I'm really pumped, and Joshy said the best behaved is going to get a set of Lego, so sweet. <laughs> so even for Leanne and Laz, <laughs> and Andy, if he wants it, <laughs> yeah, just sit up straight, exactly. Uh, okay, so um, so there's this show on, on SBS called Dateline, I don't know if you got anybody watches it. Um, yeah, you watch Dateline. It's it's investigative journalism. It's like the craziest news from around the world. They picked this one issue and they investigated in depth, right? It's got the wildest interviews, out of this world pictures, videos. It's just raw reality. Um, recently, I've realised that I've actually subconsciously just stopped watching Dateline, and I think it just got too much for me. I think the stories are just too heartbreaking. And um, in one story stays in my mind. I don't think I'll ever be able to forget this story. And I watched this maybe, I think, a year ago or something even longer. I still can't shake this story from my mind. It was based in Romania, um, a country in Eastern Europe. And in Romania, they have people living um, in sewers under the city. Right? These people were actually kids who had no parents, and they literally, they grew up in the sewers. There were wards of the state, you know, so there were orphans. Their guardian was the government, and the government just stopped looking after them. Um, so they, they grew up in the sewers. They went from kids to adults in there. And most of their existence was spent living in a sewer. I'll show you guys a couple of pictures. So, Patty, could you please put the first picture up? And this is really good. I'm glad the kids are here because I'm going to use some pictures today, which is pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, this is a, a picture of, and you can, you can see it maybe not as well, but it's just of a, of a guy who I'm going to talk about in a second coming out of the sewer. You can see around his um, wrists... There are chains, and I'll tell you guys a bit about this guy. So his name was, um, uh, he called himself Bruce Lee, okay? Um, and you can see from the picture, you know, he, he actually, this is his sewer. So he was just coming out of his sewer. He developed from a child to a man in the sewers. He's a street fighter, so that's why he calls himself Bruce Lee. He sold, um, well, he, sell, he sells drugs to sewer dwellers, right? So he pretty much ran the sewers. He calls himself the king of the sewers. So he was interviewed in this one Dateline show, and he, he talked about how everyone in the sewers has HIV AIDS. And he said if someone doesn't have AIDS, they're usually a newcomer, and they'll get AIDS pretty soon. Um, and as, as he was doing this interview, you can see the kids behind him, and I'm obviously not going to show any of those pictures, but taking drugs. Kids as, as young as 10. Um, eyes glazed over, and as you watch him speak, like you get just a sense there's been some crazy stuff happen in his life and you can tell he's just got these deep emotional scars and he walks around you know with these chains around his wrists and his feet as well like maybe a bit of a tough um, image thing you know like maybe he uses those chains as weapons or something like that but they just made me think of the chains of darkness around his life you know and the scars aren't just emotional you can actually see like on his body he's got scars all over himself from self-harm and Patty show the next picture it's just a picture of him 
nothing too dramatic or anything like that. And you can't see it very well, which is good, but all up, up, up his sleeve and stuff like that. He's got, um, you know, just scars on him and stuff like that. Um, it's almost like the scars. And I, as, I, as I watched this, this one episode, I felt like almost like the scars inside him actually manifested into actual scars on his body. And it actually makes me feel uncomfortable looking at him. After, after watching this newsreel, it actually make, makes me feel uncomfortable looking at him. And actually, Patty, maybe leave it up there for like 30 seconds as I speak and then, and then blank it out. Um, and they're just one of the stories that I can't forget. That's one of the stories that I can't forget. And they have a story like this almost every week. And so I think that, you know, without ever saying it out loud to myself, I just thought I can't take watching this anymore. And I know it sounds so easy for me to just switch off my TV to the reality of suffering in the world. And I'm just you know, talking about watching a TV show here. Like, you know, and I mean, I actually think, I tell myself, you know, look at you, you're all comfy, you know, in your nice warm house with your lights on, your TV playing, you're just too uncomfortable to watch an episode of news. Now, how yuppie of me, you know? But I mean, like, and, and maybe I'm being hard on myself, you know? Maybe I'm being hard on myself. But the truth is, and it's, it's true, I do have it better than a lot of other people in this world. I can't deny that. So, but that doesn't really matter, right? Whether I have it better or worse than other people, because the reality of suffering doesn't just go away because, you know, I've, I've switched off my TV. It's still there. Whether I have it better or worse than other people. And I know we see suffering every day. We see it in our families. We see it in our communities sometimes. We see it in the world around us. You know, we just talked about, you know, the Roonies and, and the stuff they're going through. And even in our lives, in our own lives, you know. So I, I remember I watched, uh, I used to teach this girl back in um, Sydney. She was an awesome soul. Like, you know, when I was teaching back in a high school in Sydney, she was in year nine at the time. And she, we used to get on so well. You know, we were tight. She was this strong tough chick mentally and physically, you know, and she kind of scared me a little bit. And so we always joked that I was, I was really glad that she was a good kid because if we weren't, I'd fear for my health a little bit. And she, she used to come into school with the biggest smile on her face and she always seemed like she was carrying the world on her shoulders. She had a, a little brother who would act up a lot, who was a year younger than her. And she would always be visibly disciplining him at school, telling him off and stuff like that when he gets in trouble. Um, so you could tell she had a lot of responsibility at home, a lot more than a girl her age should have. Anyway, one day she came to school and I was taking her and some other kids on an excursion. She looked so unwell and I asked her if she was okay. She was like, yep, it was just soldiered on. She just wanted to go, get on with the day. And as we were about to jump on the bus, you know, to this excursion, she, she collapsed holding her stomach. And later we found out that her dad actually had beaten her so badly the night before at home punched her in the stomach so many times because if you punched her anywhere else it will show you know that she had bruising internally we knew her home life wasn't great you know dad was pretty full-on aggressive but that day was one of those days where you understand that there's a difference between knowing about people's suffering and actually experiencing it when it hits people you know and love and and you see it with your own eyes it's different to just knowing that it's there you know um, and as for us, so for us Christians, I think people who belong to Jesus, who are actually loved by our Father in heaven, I love that last song we sang, I feel like it's harder for us to see suffering in this world and be okay with it, you know. Um, 
So, you know, the Bible says that God adopted us into his family. We're his sons and daughters now. And hopefully I'm not being too gloomy, you know, and there's an upside to all of this. And this is the upside, you know, that God loves us so much. When we realize that God is a person, he is a father and he thinks of us a certain way. When we realize how much he loves us and he cares for us, that he was willing to actually die for us, that that was the extent of his love. He didn't just say he loves us, right? He quite literally loved us when he took the death that was reserved for us on himself. He actually carried out his love in a real way. When we come to that knowledge of such a real love and you have a relationship with a father who's like that, man, it becomes so hard for us to be okay with the suffering that we see around the world. And how can other 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 people be treated like that if God has loved and valued me so much and loves me so much? And he loves them and values them that much. And the Bible actually says that not only does God know our names, he actually knows everything about us. Not only that, but he's actually got our names engraved on the palm of his hands. It says that he can number the hairs on our head. It's easier for some people than other people, obviously. You know, but this is by choice right now. Uh, nature's going to catch up with me one day. This is not going to be by choice. But... He still has to number the hairs on my head. So he, like, he knows us, right? Like, he doesn't just know us, like, you know, he doesn't just know our past, like, you know, someone you grew up with or anything like that, like an old friend or anything. He actually knit us together while we were in our mother's womb. Like, before anybody ever laid eyes on us, he knew who we were going to be. Like, in fact, he made us who he wanted us to be. When you realize you have a father like that, and a love like that, man, it becomes for, so hard for us to look at another suffering soul with indifference again. It becomes so hard for us to look at suffering and not be affected. In fact, we start to realize that anybody who hasn't had the chance to experience this kind of love is missing out. And in a real sense, they are suffering. It doesn't have to be, you know, these shocking stories that break our hearts, but the more that we experience God's good love towards us, you know, he's a good father, the more our hearts actually break for anyone who doesn't have the love that we do, you know. So, like, in a weird way, as a Christian sometimes, it's easier for us to suffer ourselves than to see someone else suffer. And I'll I'll tell you what I mean, like, because we think, man, at least I have God I can talk to. You know, at least he's here, he's walking me through this. At least I know he'll definitely forgive me and take me back if I do something wrong. But if it's someone else, I think, man, I really wish they have what I have. Like witnessing this suffering becomes so overwhelming sometimes for us. So what do we do? Like, do I just stop watching Dateline? You know, do we, do we just sing a finger in our ear and cover our eyes up and say, what's suffering? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I can't see it. No, what do we do? We can't deny all, we can't actually fix all the suffering by ourselves. We can't deny it. What does God say do we do, that we do? What does the Bible say we do? And that's what I really want to share with you guys today. And this is where the upside is, okay? Um, so we're going to talk about Matthew 5, verse 13. All right. And I'm sure you, many of you guys are familiar with this. This is what Jesus himself says. He's talking to his disciples, his people, right? Like us says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. These are Jesus' own words to people like us. So break this down, right? He says, you are the salt of the earth. So we, as Jesus' disciples, are the salt of the earth. To us in Aussie land, this makes no sense at all, right? <laughs> because it's, so obviously it's a metaphor, and we're not actually little grains of salt because I'm not little. And, you know, I wish I was sometimes. But if you know Jews, right, they love salt. So Jews, Jesus is a Jew. He's talking to a whole bunch of salt-loving Jews. And, you know, most of the time for us in Aussie land, we use salt to season. But actually, Jews, they used salt to pickle, to preserve. You know, they love their pickles. Pickles are good on your Big Mac. Pickles are written on a cheeseburger. Pickles are really good. So they actually used salt to preserve stuff, you know, because it would keep their veggies around longer. You know, have them not go bad. So salt preserves stuff. It stops it from going bad. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's, we as God's children, disciples of Jesus, that's our job in this world, to stop this world from going bad, from decaying. You know, just like salt stops food from going bad. When we see this overwhelming suffering around us, God says, you are part of the answer. You know, you are the agents that bring about healing to others who suffer. You are the salt of the earth that will keep the earth from rotting. But he doesn't stop there, right? He says, you are the light of the world. That's not hard. There's no Jewish secrets about that, right? Light is light. Without light, without light we can't see. Jesus is saying, you're the agents that will help this world see. The whole world would exist in spiritual darkness if it's not for Jesus' people and his spirit in this, on this earth who can be a light. In this world. So when we say to God, what are you going to do about all the suffering, all this hurt? He says, you need to live your life well because you are a light to the world. They see you and they see light and the darkness goes away and they find their way. And then he says the clincher, right? This is my favorite bit. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. What Jesus is saying is like, we are just agents, though. We need to live our lives well so people see what we do. And the clincher is they can attribute it to who our God is, you know, our, love, our loving Father. They see us love and they say, maybe God is loving them. And they see us tell the truth, stick to our word, act genuinely, and they say, well, maybe God is real then. Maybe he is really there then, you know. But Jesus is clear here, hey, he isn't saying we are the answer to the suffering. He's saying he is the answer to the suffering, and we are the ones that could bring about him. We are his agents. How will the world know who he is? Through us. We're his agents, right? So when the suffering gets so overwhelming for us, the answer God gives us is you are part of the solution. Just live well, and the suffering will be pushed back, right? I have to be honest with you guys, right? That only makes me feel a little bit better, right? Because now not only do I see this overwhelming suffering, now I have this daunting responsibility of living well. So, you know, it's like, but God never puts a burden on us that we can't bear. He isn't cruel. 
right? So I think we need to think about what God wants us to do. Like, what does it mean to live well? Here's the thing. When you read the Bible, you realize it's about just being intentional with your everyday things. We can all do these certain things every day. God just wants us to do them out of purpose because we're the salt of the earth, because we're the light of the world. Like, for example, what's something we do every day? Like, we work, right? Some of us do church work. We can tell people about Jesus all the time. Some of us are tradies, business owners, teachers, students, whatever. Is one less important than the other? God has all of us doing different things for a purpose. Like, there's this... um, awesome preacher called Ravi Zacharias, right? He was talking about the story of Nehemiah. You, you know Ravi, as you can see. Nehemiah in the Bible was a guy back in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago. And you should read his story if you get a chance. He was an engineer, a builder, you know, average guy, okay? But he was using his skills to rebuild the homes of thousands of people and push back the suffering that his people, the Israelites, were facing. And Ravi Zacharias says that when you actually have a relationship with Jesus, you find out that there's no such thing as a sacred job, you know, like being a pastor, like Joshian says, you know, and a secular job, like a normal nine-to-five job. As a Christian, any job we have is sacred because through our everyday actions, we can point people to God, people who are suffering by not knowing him. So there's no such thing as a secular and a sacred job. Every job is sacred because when you're an agent of God, wherever you go, whatever you do, another thing, this is, this is, this is what he wants us to do. Wherever we're at, we're his agents. So it's sacred. Another thing that we do every day that we can be salt and light through is we do this every day naturally, relationships. You know, we interact with people every day. We carry out these relationships every day, and sometimes we just do it. We forget that we're actually here for a reason, to be agents of healing to this world. I um, have a friend called um, Joe. I oh know I have a friend. I have a friend called Joe Helg, right? Um, great man of God, really big dude. Um, he's really funny, just, just a crack up. And he used to speak to us, you know, and say that you should always test every relationship that you have in your life. And this is something I learned from him, just from his words and his life. Your test should be this, right? The test that you should put, apply to every relationship you have in your life is this. The purpose of every relationship you have is to lead people closer to Jesus. It doesn't have to be just by telling them about Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm a teacher in a public school. I definitely can't tell anyone about Jesus, right? But through our actions, when we act in a way consistent with what Jesus is like, it leads people closer to knowing who he is. You know, the test for every relationship you have and whether it's moving in the right direction is whether you are being deliberate about leading the person closer to Jesus. God is love. And if we love, people are exposed to God. It's as simple as that. We can expose people to God every day, just even through our hellos, you know. So Joe, my mate, um, his daughter got really sick. She has this immune disease right? Long story short, a few months back, she was actually on her deathbed. And, and we don't know what's happened since. I haven't, I haven't been able to message him. We've just given him his space. But Joe's daughter, beautiful soul, I think she's 14 or 15, name's Emily. She told us, uh, Joe told us that she had this real confidence about her when she was in the hospital, that, you know, God was with her and she felt like she was going to be okay whether she stays or goes. And seriously, at that age, she was so mature in her faith to, to, to think, to even consider death and be okay with it. 
And Joe told us, you know, the doctors were just amazed at how at peace she was. And she kept telling the doctors about Jesus every time they'd walk in to, to help her out, right? Kids can get away like, with that. But this man of God, Joe, who taught us a while back what relationships are all about, to lead people closer to Jesus, his life is evidence that he is living what he learned and what he taught us. Because his daughter loves Jesus, no doubt because of his influence, right? And it's like even in her own suffering, she looks outside of herself and sees the suffering of others and wants others to get to know God the way she does. It just shows that God can use our ordinary everyday to influence people in an extraordinary way. Joe was just going about his life, having as best a relationship he can have with his daughter. But the legacy that he left behind was a daughter that typified what it means to be salt of the earth. You know, that's pretty amazing. But way back um, at the beginning of this world, okay, when God made human beings, it says in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I know we love this line because of how God made us in his own image. And we quote it all the time, you know. But something I've missed um, for so long is that it says God created us male and female. Apologies to the ladies, okay, in advance. Now, in the English language, we don't pick this up, right? But in Hebrew, the language that this was written in, male and female, actually, they mean those words have meanings. Um, And I don't know if you knew this, but um, the word male literally means, and also in in my... first language too, the same meaning. The word male literally means remember. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I've only, I only found this out recently, you know, recently, relatively. Um, and the word female means, guess what? Forget, <laughs> right? So sorry, ladies, in advance, that's obviously not because women are more forgetful, all right, because we, we kind of all know it's the other way around, but so sorry to bring this up, okay? But it was, just, it was just God's way, you know, because in the Hebrew language, it's like that. They can actually attribute things, you know, um, names of people that have actual literal meaning. So God is actually saying something through these names. And anyway, it was just God's way of telling us that our struggle from now on as human beings is going to be whether we remember him or whether we forget him. That's all that God was saying. We know that women probably rem- are better at remembering than men. So when we go about our everyday right? Will we actually remember that we're his agents to push back suffering in this world? That's what God is saying to us. That's going to be our lifelong struggle, you know? Or will we actually forget or we just do the mundane, the bare minimum every day just to get by for ourselves? You know, don't be overwhelmed by the suffering. I'm telling myself this, you know, don't be overwhelmed by the suffering. Just live well. Be intentional with every aspect of your life. Remember that you're his agent of love and healing, but also of righteousness. Your life points to who Jesus is. Jesus can heal the most suffering soul. And our church is good at this, I reckon. Many people here, and like I said, you guys have inspired this talk because many people here have inspired me and Kim and I both to live well just because I've seen you guys do the simplest things. Um, around this town to help other people. And you do those things through your everyday. And like, for example, one of the, the latest thing that's inspired me was um, how a couple of parents, you know, from this church decided to jump on the PNC at Aladala High, you know, and like the parents and community group at school. 
you know, and just to be part of the school's life. Within the school, you guys should hear about this. You know, the teachers have, have been raving. They've been saying, oh, we've got these great parents on the PNC now. And simple things. It's just simple things. There's, there's things that we can do, all do, here and now. Things that are within our reach. You know, I might not be able to help Bruce Lee in Romania, okay, as much as I, there's like a, a bit of me that goes, jump on a plane and go, you know. But I'm not going to, uh, that's not me. Um, uh, that's not what God's called me to, you know. I might not be able to help him living in the sewers. But there are things that I can do here that is within my reach. I work, I have relationships that I maintain every day. And of course, there are other things as well. But that's just two simple things that just come to mind. You know, it's like, it's like God's actually broken down all the suffering in the world into small aggregate little pieces. And he's actually entrusted each one of us with a small piece and said, here, I want you to deal with this little piece of suffering. So don't, don't be overwhelmed by the whole of the world's suffering. Just pick up your little piece and focus on that and live well. And I, I'm, I'm coming close to finishing up and I just wanted to share with you guys a couple of stories that inspire me. I'm hoping it'll do the same for you because it's not a gloomy picture. It's actually a very hopeful picture. And God is the one who's changing this world through us. Um, I wanted to share with you guys some things. Here's one picture of, um, first picture, it's actually the third picture in our series, Patty Boy, please. And it's a picture of, oh, you're a champion, Father Damien, okay? Yeah, Father Damien, he's, he lived in the 1800s. He was from Belgium. Um, him and his brothers were priests, okay? Um, his brother actually felt like God wanted him to go to Hawaii to help people there. Hawaii, you know, like, of course you want to go to Hawaii. But his brother got sick, right? So um, Father Damien just said, all right, I'll go instead. I talk about doing the simplest things within our reach. Father Damien actually felt like going to Hawaii was within his reach. So he went. But as he did ministry there, he actually found a leper colony. So that's just like a town of people living together who had leprosy. And, you know, leprosy is a disease where the skin becomes disfigured, um, like nerves get damaged, is that right and you can't feel stuff you can't feel pain I uh, said so, you know people with leprosy can't feel if something is doing damage to their body even if it's a simple thing like a rock in their shoe or something they wouldn't feel it for days and they'll just get sores and blisters and sometimes people with leprosy are actually missing limbs because of something that's done damage to their arms or their feet so anyway lepers le- lepers lepers throughout history have actually found themselves being outcast from the rest of society because no one else wants to get this disease from them because you can't contract it. So Father Damien decided that he would live with the people living in this leper colony in Hawaii and help them. And eventually he was with them so much caring for the lepers that he himself contracted leprosy. He found out one day when he spilt boiling water on himself and he couldn't feel it. Um, and you see his arm, like in this photo, it's actually his right arm is bandaged up. And I think he was missing part of his hand, or, you know, all because he kept injuring himself. Um, but anyway, because of Father Damien and his work, not only did he care for the lepers, right, he actually helped establish leadership in that community. He built schools, built hospitals, houses. And when he first um, got there to Hawaii, he spoke with a small assembly of the people. And he said, this is what he said to them in his first ever address to them. He said, I come as someone who loves you, to live and die with you, right? And that's exactly what happened. He was actually prepared to, to die caring for these people from the beginning. And that's, that's what happened. He died in Hawaii in the leper colony where he lived. 
it was um, like an early death because of his leprosy. Um, but his life pointed to Jesus. To all, these, all these people that would have never known otherwise, they knew because of what he did. Because he actually died out of love for them. His life literally pointed to Jesus. So the king of Belgium, where Damien was from, he said that his body needs to go back to Belgium, right? Hawaiians were so upset because they wanted his body to stay with them. And in the end, the Hawaiians asked if they can at least have his right hand, which sounds pretty gruesome, right? But whatever was left of his right hand as well. But they wanted it because they actually felt like that was a symbol of what he did to them and, and in their communities. So us being salt and light will have enormous consequences on the people around us because when we see, when they see God through us, they'll never be the same again, just like these people in Hawaii. It does come at a price for us. It's a whole other sermon because it did come as, at a price for Father Damien, right? But don't be overwhelmed by the suffering. Live as an agent of Jesus in your everyday. And for some of us, God might actually call us to do something like this to go somewhere else, to do something that wasn't in our plans, to move out of our comfort zone. But for now, just live well in the simplest things, in what you're doing every day. You know, in all of this, one thing I've learned is that I'm not going to stop watching Dateline, right? Because I don't want to be blind to the world's suffering. It's hard. It's hard to take. I'm not going to put myself through the torture all the time. But every now and then, I'm going to expose myself to the suffering that this world is facing because just as it breaks my heart, it breaks God's heart a thousand times more, right? And he cares about it, so we should too. So don't be blind to the suffering just because it's too much to take. You know, it's there, but God wants to use us. And so this is the last thing I wanted to share with you guys, okay? So I don't know if the music team wants to come up. This is a painting I want to show you. And don't show it yet, Patty Boy, okay? Um, So there's a lady called Catherine Booth. Now, you might not have heard of her, but I can almost guarantee that everyone here knows something of what Catherine Booth did. So her and her husband, they had a vision. They were on this train, they were going somewhere, and they had this vision. And they decided to write it down. Her husband decided to write it down. And then this, this, this guy, late years down the track, he took that vision, what she wrote down, and he actually turned it into a painting. Um, this is the painting. So you can have a look at this later on as well. You, just, you could just Google this later. Just type in Catherine Booth, Salvation Army painting. Catherine Booth and William Booth were the founders of the Salvation Army. So they still help the sick and the poor in our country. And through them and through the salvation and through what people do, people are exposed to God and Jesus every day. I don't know if you guys can see it very well, but it's like people are sitting on a pier, Right? And they're just going about there every day. You know, they're like, they're, they're eating at a restaurant. They're, I don't know, lifting weights, playing music, going out. But their everyday doesn't have any meaning. They're just going about it. But then there's a few people, a couple of people on the pier, that are actually going out of their, out of their way to help all the drowning around them. And can you see there's drowning people all around them? right? There's one guy who's actually extending his arm. There's one guy who's throwing out a boy. And there's a couple over there, if you can see them, they're actually on a dinghy. They've decided to step off the pier and go out to the drowning, right? And that's what they felt, Catherine Booth, William Booth felt 
that God was telling them was it's time for you to step out on the dinghy and do something about the suffering that you see every day. I wouldn't be surprised if people in this room are actually meant to do even bigger things than Catherine Booth did. You know, especially the young'uns. I think it's no coincidence that you're all sitting, all the primary school kids are sitting here. The guys and the girls at youth, our shine kids, like the next generation of this church, right? Wouldn't we want to be those people who are out there on the dinghy, on that small boat that aren't sitting on the pier anymore, to be at the front line of the battle, all the way out in the raging storm, helping the people that are drowning, be salt, be light. That's what Jesus says. To actually really truly know his love, you can't be okay with this world, right? Because through us, the suffering will be pushed back, will lead people closer to Jesus. And that's how, how we can be out there saving the drowning. All we need to do is just live simply right here, right now, live well, right? Okay, that's all I really wanted to say. Why don't we pray together? Um, Says, would you like to add anything? Joshy boy. Father God, I just wanted to thank you so much. Um, Lord Jesus, you did everything for us. When we look to you and we just look at what you've done, God, like you're praiseworthy even if you hadn't done anything for us because you're God. You're, you're the creator of the universe. You're the king of kings. Um, everything comes under your authority. Everything comes under your control. But the fact that then you loved us so unspeakably, Lord, we, we praise you like, 10,000 times more because of what you've done for us. But then, Lord, to think you've loved us this much, we can't be okay with the world around us. And we need to live every day deliberately. We need to live every day with a purpose to be salt and light. I pray, God, that by your Spirit that today you'd actually move us into a new place in our lives where your Holy Spirit is actually guiding us and making us live in a way that's much more deliberate. I, I pray for me and I pray for everybody else. Lord, I want to actually be doing more. But sometimes more is just being more deliberate now. It's not actually doing physically more. It's just being thinking about what I'm doing now. I pray, God, that your spirit would just help me think about what I'm doing every day. I pray, God, the same for everybody that's sitting in this room. And I pray that we would have just a bit of an idea that the things that we do are going to have enormous consequences. We might not even see it, but they will be there. Thank you, God, in advance for the way that you're going to use us. In Jesus' name.